This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Romans 2 in the NLT. But first and always, we pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love, your kindness, your mercy, Lord. Please come and live in us. We need your love. You're the God of love, and we need it. We have an emptiness in us, Lord, that only you can fill, because we were made to be in eternal communion with you, who is the God of love. And when something happened to the tree or whatever happened to the human race, we fell, we were cursed by sin, and that's emptiness and death and unhappiness. And we need to get back to that, Lord. We need you to come and live in us once again. We live, we walk by faith, not by sight, but one day we will see you with our eyes and we will, we will be so much more unified together. Thank you for the wisdom that I have received from you, Lord, from your word, from your son, from the spirit and from other people around me in my life. I know it's coming from you. And help whatever we say here, we glorify you. And we're not meant to hurt or bash anybody. We're not to demean anybody. Because as Christians, Lord, as believers, as God followers, we are to be kind to all and elevate all. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I met a dude in the gym. Nice guy. You know, he's... Uh, trying to lose weight right and uh then he then he's gonna bulk up but he's he used to be 280 and now he's about 220 210 and he wants to get down to 180 and uh yeah just a really nice guy we had a nice talk today in the gym i I've, i see the gym as kind of gym family although there are some people you talk to some people you kind of avoid or they avoid you yeah i guess i'm a gym rat you know i'm trying to better myself and uh listen to this lady i just i've listened to her before the whole the um, Happy Wife School. Uh, her name is Karen Sykes. And she is a, not a dating coach, but she's a, she's a counselor. She has the kindest eyes I have ever seen. She has the kindest, bluest eyes. And she is actually counseling men and women like relationships, marriage. And just, she has so much wisdom. I'm not even going to try to repeat what I've heard because I know I'm going to botch it. But it just, you know, I don't know the person. But, you know, I listen to a different channel. I listen to, I want to listen to people. And I just like, I listen to what they say, whether they're believers or not, whether they're secular or not, and sort of judge, am I getting wisdom? Or did you want me to hear this? What can I take away from this? What life lessons can I learn? So just, there's wisdom. Um, it can be uncovered, like anywhere you want to uncover it. If you want wisdom, God's going to show it to you. And sometimes it comes out of people. She said she's not a Christian. But the, the principles she's espousing, I think she's validating the principles of the Redeemer, even if she does not believe in the Redeemer of the principles. Let me read. Romans 2, God's judgment of sin. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Wow, so Paul is kind of, uh, you know, shots fired. No holes barred, you know, shots across the bow here. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? So I think this is kind of the end of, um, is continuation of Romans 1. Because I'm just thinking, you know, we, we got all these chapters and periods and, and verses in the Bible. But, you know, I mean, some of it was written just, it's, Continuous, like I don't know, I don't know if you know. I don't really know enough about Hebrew and Greek to know about punctuation. You know who included what, but the end of Romans one was 
Verse 32, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then this seems to be continuing right along. So are we talking about hypocrites? Are we talking about narcissists who are blind to their own sin, but love to point out the sins of others? Like, what are we talking about here? But it seems to be a common thread. And it says, verse 4, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You know, so the thing is that, you know, my pastor said to me, you know, we don't, we don't push people. Nobody likes to be pushed. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to be like, this is what you got to do. And you're not doing it. You're not doing the right thing. But he said, you know, we walk, we walk with our hands out. And if people want to join us, you know, they're, they're really joining Christ. We want people to join Christ. And so we want to, we're going to lead them gently and we're going to lead them to put their hand in the hand of, of, of the man of Galilee. I, I don't want to lead anybody. I just want to get the message out, just read the Bible. You know, anything I say, really, it's my opinion. I would like to say the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, but really, anything I say really is my opinion. It's my bias, right? It's maybe God's words wrapped up with my own bias, how I see things, what what I think is, is the right way or the right way to arrange the puzzle pieces. The, the best thing you can do is just read the Bible for yourself. We're just having some fun here. Verse 5, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, I mean, God is not angry, but he's angry against sin. God loves us. I think, I think that it really affects him. You know, as a father, he loves us. He loves his children. I love my children, you know, and I, I wish I could get more from them, more communication. Everybody says they're busy. And, and you know what? As this lady was saying, she was talking about, you know, well, she was talking to women. She was saying women expect so much romantic love and they have these, we have this emptiness in us and you don't get these feelings. You know, someone doesn't make you feel loved. They won't make you feel validated. Um, you know, it's, it's something where you kind of turn on the person, but it says, you know, it's our, it's our feelings of emptiness. And that she was also saying, you know, romantic love from a man, like it can't, it can't be maintained. It can't always because it's just, it has a limit. Human love is frail, it's, it's weak. You know, you love somebody, but maybe you're not always romantic all the time. You know, she's talking to women, but she's talking to men too, because it's, a, it's marriage, right? So what I'm saying is um, about God is that he loves us, he really does, right? And it's definitely the love that a father has for his children. The pastor said to me, God is so much more invested in your children than you are. And you have, to, you have to understand that, that God is working according to the way he thinks things are best. God is working in this situation. God is in control. I want my children to respond to me more. I want them to respond at all. I was like, Lord, this is not, this is not fair. This is not feel good. But after I had that conversation with the pastor, he's a very wise man. I really admire my pastor. I'm so glad that he came to our church. We're so blessed to have him. Because he's just, you know, he's about 60 years old. He's got, you know, a lot of wisdom. And he just, you know, God is God is in control. And when we don't feel like we're in control, we don't feel loved by somebody that we think should love us. Like my kids should respond to me and validate me. It's like, you know what? Um, he said, they're not really your kids. You know, they came through you, but they're God's kids. Yes, yes, I I feel they're my kids. I, I, I feel that more love for them, just a manager for, you know, coworkers. But 
God is in charge. We have to trust God. It says here, verse 6, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live, live lives of wickedness. So what I was trying to say is God is not angry against the people. He's angry at their actions. He's angry that they don't, they don't want to love him back, that they don't want to be loving, that they don't want to connect to him. Because God's spirit is the eternal spirit. It's the spirit that put everything together. That's the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. That's God's free. That's, that's the freedom of God. That's the goodness of God. That's the connecting spirit that joined all these forces together that created gravity equals 9.8 meters per second squared, that created atoms and quarks and neutrinos and, and perfection. God didn't really want to have the arrow of entropy increasing. He didn't want to have, you know, the universe coming to a heat death as the scientists would say, because even the scientists know that the universe is coming to an end. It has a beginning and has an end. Well, we have a beginning, but we don't have an end, thanks to God, because God is eternal. And if we're with God, we will be eternal too. Although this, the phase of this life will definitely come to an end. It says here, he's going to pour out his anger and wrath for those who live for themselves, who don't want him. He's not going to force them to be in fellowship with him for all eternity if they haven't been practicing it now. Because the fact of the matter is this is where you decide what side you want to be on. You can't straddle the fence. Verse 9, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So Paul was saying the Jew first and the Gentile, like everybody's under the same edict. Okay, maybe, you know, God judges people based on what they know or what they could know, you know, based on, on, on what they know. But the thing is that it's, it, whether it's the Jew or the Gentile, like, we're under the judgment of God. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Like, why does it say the Jew first? Are we not equal? Well, I, I guess Paul is just saying, you know, Jewish people are also included in this. You know, Gentile people were also there too. You know, uh, I mean, the Jews were, were, were given the law and maybe there's a priority or maybe maybe he's trying to say, you know, that the Jews would be let, let out, that they would be um, sort of omitted. People would say, okay, the Jews don't know what they're talking about, but he's saying, no, you're included too. You also have a priority with God. You're also in uh, judgment based on the things you have been given. It says, verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Does it seem that he does? God does not show favoritism. I mean, you can't, you can't score points. You can't bribe God with money or with your brains or anything because he, he knows everything already. Verse 12, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. So the thing is that, okay, the Gentiles didn't have like the Ten Commandments law, but now we have a new law, the law written in our hearts, the law of the Holy Spirit, the, the law of the Beatitudes, the law of relationships. Right? The law of relationships. That's what Jesus is teaching, relationships. 
When I realized that Jesus was teaching about relationships, it wasn't so much about Sabbath keeping or uh, you can't eat pork or shrimps or, um, yeah, I'm trying to get these hermeneutics and doctrines right, but I might have had the wrong interpretation. We're all reading the same Bible and we're coming to different hermeneutics. But um, that's not what's important to Jesus. It was relationship with him and his father. It was relationship with his father through him. That's Jesus is teaching relationship commandments. I mean, if you go and look at his commandments, you look at what the whole fruits of the Spirit, you look at the Beatitudes, you look at what Jesus is saying and teaching, everything is about relationships. I don't know why people get all bent out of shape about, you know, how many foxes that uh, Samson released or the color of hell or if hell is burning forever or when you die, are you conscious? Like, I mean, those are interesting things. It's all just information and guesses. It's kind of like guessing, well, is gravity 9.8 meters per second squared, 9.7 meters per second squared, 9.9 meters per second squared? Well, I would like to know the answer, but I might get it wrong. But, but, but Jesus is talking about relationships. Relationships to God, relationship to your fellow man, relationship to your wife, to your kids, and relationship to yourself. Connections, and, and this world is not, doesn't care. It's just trying to do whatever. It's disconnecting from God. I mean, that, that's what I see. I'm, I'm not a scientist or a brainy person by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said, I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. I've just thought about this in the last five, six years since I got rebaptized. It, it seems really simple, relationships, but it's actually hard. That's what everybody talks about. Relationships, marriage, how to make it work, why it's not working. There's a lot of... A lot of Talmud, there's a lot of unforgiveness in the world. People just, I don't know, they, what do they want? All this ooey-gooey love, you know, we all love each other, kumbaya stuff, but love is a discipline. Like one pastor said, hey, him, me and the wife, he said, we weren't really having a good marriage at some point. And he came to the realization, love is just not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a decision. Like, wow, that's wisdom. Okay, him and the wife weren't getting along for a little bit. I guess that happens to every marriage. Well, hey, it happened to mine and it's still on happening. I don't have a marriage anymore. So I'm okay. <laughs> even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. A lot of guys don't care about God, but, you know, the guy today, he said, oh, I don't believe in any religion. My wife doesn't either. But we, he said to me, that he met his wife at the airport when he was uh, 22 years old. He's 41 now, right? He said, um, we connect. I mean, he said marriage is really important about, you know, the physical and the, um, the physical and the mental. He did say that to me, but he said, you got to connect on a higher plane. Okay, I think, I think that Jesus is the true re re um, relationship. You know, he's not buying that, but he's saying, um, you know, we're spiritual, but not, you know, we don't, we don't believe in any religion. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. But, you know, I want to listen to what the dude says. And he's saying that really the marriage is working because him and his wife connect together on a higher spiritual plane and that they challenge each other. That sounds kind of like what's going on here with Romans 2 verses 12. And at a higher spiritual plane, spirituality would be being decent to your neighbor, don't fool around with your neighbor's wife, don't cheat your neighbor, you know, don't, don't steal, you know, pay your taxes, 
you know, be a decent person, work hard, don't steal from your from your worker, don't steal from your place of employment, have respect. I mean, those sound like the instinctive laws of doing what is right, because that's what the Holy Spirit wants, and the Holy Spirit lives in the heart. Even Gentiles do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it without even having heard it. Okay, maybe that dude is going to reject me if I were to say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I think Christianity is that very thing, and Jesus is the Savior. He'd probably like look at me with a funny eye and then maybe not talk to me again. That didn't happen today. But I'm just saying it sounds to me like the things that he was espousing, that's what Jesus would say. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. So what is your conscience? Is it the Holy Spirit inside of you or is it the radar dish to the Holy Spirit? Like I've heard different answers. It's not the Holy Spirit, but it's it's your receptor dish, you know, your, your um, you know, cable dish. You know, it's pointed at the satellite and, and the satellite's beaming down waves and your, your, your dish is like receiving the waves. So is that what your conscience is? You know, it's that receptor thing on the Enterprise, you know, that big round circle thing at the front. Is that what the, is that what the conscience is? Conscience. I always get that mixed up. Conscience, conscious, conscience, conscious, conscience. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. The Jew in the law, the Jews in the law, you, you who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well, they say the law is supposed to be like a mirror. It shows you, it defines right and wrong, okay? But the law is unforgiving. It doesn't transform your heart. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't forgive you. It doesn't tell you how to be better. It, it just says what you've done right and what you've done wrong. But, I, but I, I think he's talking to the Jewish people here, or the Jewish believers in Rome. Well, then, if you teach your others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? So, I don't know. He's maybe he's talking to the Jews. Like I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not piling on the Jews, but. You know, I remember a guy saying, okay, the Jews were like, yeah, about, you know, the Sabbath and on Saturday, uh, whatever the Sabbath was, I don't know if it's Saturday or not. I mean, we think it is, but nobody really knows. I don't know. The Jews are all going to synagogue on Saturday. So maybe the Saturday of the Sabbath of Exodus 20 verses 8 is Saturday. Who knows? And uh, he was saying that, okay, yeah, they keep the Sabbath. And then as soon as sunset comes down, boom, they open the shop again and start cheating. Like, I have no idea. Okay, but I think this is what it's saying. Paul is saying you, you're kind of two-faced. You, you know, in church or whatever, you're kind of like so religious and you worship God, this and that, and the rest of the week, you don't really care. That's, I think that's what he's saying. He's basically calling somebody a hypocrite. Yeah, you say one thing, uh, you teach one thing, but you actually do another. I think that's what he's saying here. You don't have to agree. Maybe it's, maybe it's a different situation. It says, you are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Wow. Boy, 
Uh, Paul's kind of tough, eh? No, who's he talking to? Believers? Jewish believers? You know, I heard that after 160 AD, all the Jewish Christians just kind of dropped out of the church and it became a Gentile religion. Like, that was not supposed to happen, was it? Was that supposed to happen? Like, maybe the, 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 Christian, the Jewish Christian people still were like, okay, Saturday is the Sabbath. Or these people are not going to church on Saturday. Or maybe they were all going to church on Saturday. And then maybe somehow it just switched to Sunday. Or maybe the Gentiles got kicked out of the synagogue. I have no idea. I'm just thinking if, if, if the Jewish people had all these laws and they believed in Jesus, and the Gentile people were like, we're supposed to all worship together. And these people were all trying to worship together. And, you know, one bunch of people grew up with the law. One bunch of people was like, yeah, whatever. I think it'd be really hard. Even if you're a Christian, it's like, hey, dude, how come you're not doing this? I'm doing this. I mean, I was the same way. I came out of a very Jewish, um, you know, legalistic, um, you know, I called it uh, Judaism for Gentiles thing. And I go to the church on Sunday and everybody's just so, how, how did I put casual? Apathetic? No, I wouldn't say apathetic. No, no, that's the wrong word. I'd say casual. Like, it's okay to eat pork and shrimps? I honestly, I was actually going to leave the church. And I, and then I sat down one day, because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to a potluck. It was before COVID. It's everybody's eating pork, and like, nobody even cares about, you know, this animal being unhealthy. Like, okay, it's not a sin, but maybe God just told them because he didn't want them to eat this food. Although this lady at work told me pork tenderloin is the most uh, healthiest meat of all. I beg to differ. I don't, it doesn't seem right to me, but whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. But I would just, I just thought, what, what, I just shuttered my whole marriage for this church? Like, am I, am I, because even though I'm Gentile, I was like very Jewish. I mean, my friend asked me, why you go to church on Saturday? Are you Jewish? I was like, no, I'm not Jewish. You know, and then I go to the, the church. It's like, it's just about Jesus. But I'm just challenged by what I see. And I'm thinking maybe I was like the Jew. Other people were like Gentiles. And they, maybe the Jew, Jewish Christians said, hey, you know what? I know we all believe, but these people are just, I, I'm fed up with them. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. So when they dropped out of uh, Christianity, did they drop out of Christianity for good? Or they just went, started their own home church and put it back to Saturday. I have no idea. I really don't know. It says, you are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. I mean, when, you know, James was the half-brother of Jesus and they had a church going on in Jerusalem, I'm thinking that they were still very Jewish in a lot of the things that they did. You know, they probably still had, uh, they probably very kosher. You know, it's not like you just drop all that stuff overnight. I mean, I'm sure Peter was like kind of freaking out too. And then he has this dream and he go, and then he goes to the Roman centurion and he says, you know, I realize now that God um, is not, doesn't favor persons, whether you're, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved. But I'm sure he's very challenged because all of a sudden these people just don't have the same laws. They just don't care about all this. Verse 25, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision uh, has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? Well, yeah. I think now, I mean, you know, who, who, uh, there was a verse my pastor was preaching it. I think it was in Ephesians and he was talking about once you were far off, but now you're near. You know, and he was doing the whole Grover thing. What, near? Gentiles were far, now they're near. And then he was re referencing that Sesame Street episode with Grover. Near? And then Grover would run away. Far! And then Grover would come back. Near? 
And then Grover would run away far. See how good I do that? I'm Kermit the Frog. I'm Grover. I think that was, I think that was Frank Oz doing the same two voices because they sound kind of dissimilar. Boy, you can have a podcast and who knows what tangents you're going to go off on. I hope you find this funny right now. Verse 27. In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. You know. Verse 28. For you are a true Jew because you are not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew, verse 29. So the definition of Jew, Jew has changed. I mean, Jew was, you know, they said Israel was the name overcomer. You're overcoming. Well, it says, verse 29, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. That's what Christianity is about. That's what the new covenant is about. It's having a new heart, a transformed heart that's other-centered, that wants to please God and make God happy. Love fulfills the law. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. You know, they talked about the 144,000 being like a specialized crop of Jewish people, like Jewish-Jewish. And I was thinking, well, how do you know that? Because Romans 2.29 says the definition of being a Jew has changed from the old covenant, which was a physical people, people of a DNA, you know, actual physical DNA descendants of Abraham versus anybody who calls Jesus his savior. So I have no idea about the 144,000, but I was just wondering because people would say that it was 144,000 Jews, but this says... A true Jew is one who has a, a circumcised heart, a changed heart, a, a different way, uh, you, somebody who wants to please God. So maybe the 144,000 is Jews, but it could be Gentile Jews, Gentiles, or it could be Jewish Jews. I have no idea. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. I don't want to push anybody, as my pastor said. All I want to do is walk, and if anybody feels motivated to follow, don't follow me. Imitate me. Follow Christ. Pray and read his word every day. God bless you all.